Welcome to another episode of My Zen Pet, the first podcast with music for pets, specifically music for pet stress. Hi, I'm Lisa Spector, your pet calming maestro. My Juilliard degree has gone to the dogs and I couldn't be more thrilled. We have a very different kind of episode for you today on the My Zen Pet podcast. Even though this is the first podcast with music for pet stress, I'm actually not focusing on music today. If you want to hear music designed to calm the canine nervous system and relieve anxiety issues, you will find a track of music in any of the previous 67 episodes. Today, I am bringing you an interview. In the Dog Gone Calm Club, Every month, I play a concert for the members and their dogs, and I bring in a guest expert. Before I introduce the guest expert today, I will share that we just celebrated our first year in the Dog Gone Calm Club, and every member, I'm very proud to say, every member that has joined has stayed for their entire length of their time. So, our guest experts are brought in, and I interview them and then the members ask them questions. And the part that I'm going to share with you today is the conversation I had with Sandy Rogers, who is a very well-known agility instructor and agility handler. She has been on the world podium at agility many times. She has won several gold medals and she also writes for Clean Run Magazine and has many courses, both for agility and non-agility dogs with Clean Run. So we had such an interesting conversation. The topic she brought was skills, communication, and chemistry. Without further ado, here is my interview with Sandy Rogers. Enjoy. Uh, Sandy and I go back a long way. She was... Uh, at her school, Ace Dog Sports, when I was in San Francisco, I started with Blancet with my do- dog Sanchez, who's in this painting. My mom painted this painting of Sanchez here. And um, I, you know, I was thinking this morning, I always say that I learn more about dog behavior from agility than anything else I've ever done in my life. And then I started to wonder, maybe it's because of Sandy. Maybe I learned more about dog behavior because of Sandy <laughs> than any than anything else I've done in my life. Because this woman knows more about dog behavior and how dogs think and process and understand than probably anyone I know. So that's why I invited her to the Dog Gone Calm Club to speak and share her perspective. Because in addition to being a um, world-renowned agility handler, She's also just a fabulous, just dog person who just understands dogs. And I know we're all under, we're all working on building better relationships with our dogs, understanding what they're think, thinking and feeling. And so I have some questions for her. But before we do that, Cindy, I'm wondering if you could just um, just tell us how this all got started. I know like dogs just float your boat, as you say, the understanding of them. And how did that all start? For me? Or yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah, for you. Um, it's easy. I was an only child on a farm and uh, do- uh, horses were my first gig, but we always had a bunch of dogs. And when I moved to San Francisco, I missed um, showing the horses, couldn't have a horse, saw competition obedience, met the right person, met my mentor that's still my mentor, and that's um, Pat Cook. 
and then needed a dog. <laughs> so I, I wanted to do competition obedience before I had a dog as an adult living in San Francisco on my own. And um, I decided to get a border terrier because I didn't know that they weren't rock stars at training and obedience and the things I wanted to do. I just thought, oh, I like that one. And and uh, my boyfriend agreed that was a big part of it. And so Rasta is where it starts. And Rasta taught me to love competition. And um, then I wanted to do different breeds. And that's really, I also worked at veterinary hospitals. I managed a commercial boarding kennel. I was a racehorse groom and I owned a pet travel business. And if I can just take another minute, Mm -hmm. you know, you said you learned about dogs through agility, but actually there was a piece of it. I was that piece that you said, but there was a piece that gave you more about dogs. I don't know about dogs because of my competition experience at all. It's I, I had a pet travel business. So I was handling for many years dogs of all breeds, all ages, under the most stressful conditions that they could possibly be put in. And what I learned was that I couldn't predict behavior. I could respect signals. But I could have a dog that looked absolutely terrified, glued to the back of the crate, saying, I am going to bite you if you come near me. And if I undid the crate, that dog would jump all over. I'm free of that thing. Please save me. I love you. Or I could have a dog that would be in the back of the crate saying, if you come near me, I'm going to bite you. And I would take the crate off and he said, I've warned you once. And I would be a little sweetie and I would get a snap. So I learned that uh, recognizing a dog saying, I am extremely uncomfortable. And then what I learned to hear was, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. So that's how I learned what I know about dogs because I was working with them in extremely stressful situations. How fascinating. How fascinating. I'm sure you probably did get bit once or twice or more. You never got bit. I've gotten bit twice in my entire career. And once both were at agility. Wow. That's impressive. That's impressive. And hearing, being reminded of your story, it's full circle because even though I've never met Pat Cook, she matched me with Gina. Oh, that's Pat right. Pat Cook is responsible for me having Gina. So Sandy, one of the things, you, you probably don't even know this, there are some really um, basic things that stand out that I learned from you in agility that are applied to my everyday life with my dog. And they're, they, I learned them at agility, but they can be taken off the agility field and applied anywhere. And one of them just actually manifested 10 minutes before this call. So I remember Gina was very new at trialing and I was at a trial and I was trying to get her to tug, which 
all these years later is hard to imagine because she's a tug monster now, but it took me a couple years to really get her to reliably tug. And I was panicked. So first of all, I wasn't calm because I was like, she's got to tug. We got to run. She's got to tug. And you came out, you were just walking by and you taught me the importance of focusing on one thing at a time. So first of all, getting myself calm. And then I don't know what else I was compounding with the tugging, but I was like adding something to it. And so, so just before this call, about 10 minutes before the call, um, the neighbor's dog started barking. I was just in the process of letting Gina out to go relieve and Gina starts barking and I'm trying to get her to relieve. And I'm like, one thing at a time, get her to stop barking first and then ask her to relieve. So it was just interesting that it's like, these things are still showing up. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, the focusing on one thing at a time. Yeah, that's, um, (laughs) you're you're, going to have to go like this when you want me to cut it, if you have (laughs) another question, because this is a loaded topic for me. And I like, um, I like sharing what I know about that. So, so what's your, so first of all, when my dogs, I look at everything as questions, Lisa, everything. So folks, when your dog is doing something that you prefer he not, a lot of people are going to call that a mistake. If you look at it as a question, and if you look at yourself as your dog's teacher or your dog's mentor, right? Instead of their boss or their mommy or, which is hard to do. (laughs) I mean, I like to do that too, but when it's time to teach, I actually Googled all the key characteristics of a great teacher recently. And I inspire anybody with a dog to do that little exercise and rise to that challenge. So when the dog has, I have a question, how do you feel about me barking my head off right this second at the top of my lungs? And then we do something which to me is um, not really addressing the, the, that was the question. The question was, can I bark as loud as I want right now? And then the handlers will often say, I have an idea. Why don't we work on sit? Now, giving the dog an incompatible alternative behavior is a technique. And it's a useful technique. And I want my students to have as many tools and techniques as they can so they can draw on them. But what I don't want them to do is switch. I'll ask for the quiet and see if I can get it. And then if that doesn't work, I'll ask for the sit and see if I can get that. And if that doesn't work, I'll heaven help me start producing food. So it's that I'm desperate and frantic and I'm not and I'm not sticking with the original question. The dog said, I can, can I bark my head off now? Just stick with helping the dog with that answer and try your level best to not change the answer. So sometimes I think it gets really confusing when we're trying to communicate and our dogs aren't seeming to understand us. Lots of folks first instinct is to change the response. He doesn't get it. I'll do something different. Well, if I was teaching you how to spell cat and you couldn't get it, I wouldn't change the letters around. Or I wouldn't say, oh, let's just learn how to spell dog. Let's just learn how to spell blue. I would say, okay, you want to learn how to, this is the task at hand. So when we can take a breath and not start 
in in our sport, one of the things is they'll be asking the dog to sort of line up, sort of tug, sort of. And it's like that was where that was born. Uh, wait, hold the phone. Four commands ago, you asked for a set and your dog said, I can't do that right now. I'm too X, Y, Z, P, D, Q, fill in the blank. I'm too hot. I'm too distracted. I'm too nervous. I'm too fill in the blank. And at that point, like what I like to do is just calm down myself and say, wait a minute. I think you actually can access that learning. And then I'm going to help them. And and that can be any number of things. I normally don't produce, start distracting with food when my dogs need help, but I might. It's different dogs, different reactions. But if I just gently tip him or give him a minute, I'll often just say, "Uh uh-uh, like not sitting when I say sit isn't an option, soft. My dogs get excited when I I call that wrong track information. When I give my dog a little bit of information that they're on the wrong track, they'll go, there's a cookie available. All I got to do is get on the right track. (laughs) Just get on the right track and she's going to feed me. Watch this, guys. So so if I say, "Uh uh-uh, you've just, that's not what I'm looking for. They'll go, oh, what was the last thing I heard? Now I'm creating communication. I'm inspiring thinking. Do they always sit right away? No, but then I know how well they actually knew it or how scared they actually were or how whatever they're telling me is in the way of them working with me is how deep is it? Are you that whatever, hot, tired, scared, distracted? Are you so much so that you really can't sit or do you just need a minute? And then I help, I teach. My students always say, I can't remember what to do when he does this. I can't remember what to do when he does that. I can't. I'm like, there's one word. You just remember one word. Teach. Just teach. You're the teacher. Yeah. That dog's the pupil. I love that. And I love starting with a question. It all starts with a question. That's like, I've never even thought about it that way. That's fabulous. So now I want you to go to the opposite side of that, because another thing I learned from you, which I use all the time outside of agility, which is you give your dog a cue to do something. If he or she understands that cue, it's perfectly acceptable to ask him or her to do another cue on the way to that thing. So for example, Fido here, and on the way, I'm going to ask him to down. So I'm wondering if you can explain, because it's this kind of the reverse, or it's not the reverse, it's like the next level. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I think when, Lisa, we have... We have become fast friends because we both like to talk and explore, whether it's (laughs) dogs or boys or (laughs) food. (laughs) And that exploration of when these general principles sort of turn over, it's really, really good. Um, So if if we say that the first if we get the system of communication down, we want to be fair, right? 
And, and that's where some folks will get real nervous. Well, I don't know if it's fair to ask this of the dog at this time, or I don't know if he knows it well enough for me. It's about expectations and expectations can be a dog trainer's best friend or worst enemy. <laughs> um, so if I've said to you, when I say come, I want you to respond quickly and I need you to get to me all the way. And I pretend my arms are only this long. I'm not all the way is not the length of my arms because dogs are good at estimating the length of an arm plus two inches really, really well. So I want, I, so this is what we're talking about now is I have criteria for every cue I have, and I have very specific cues and I have general invitation cues and I know how long the dog has to comply and what the, what it should look like. So the recall is a classic example where I've called the dog and I want that dog to understand that he must come quickly immediately and um, make it all the way to me. That, that's my shortest path. So um, if I call the dog and I want to protect that understanding, you would say, and you would be right to do so, well, then that response should be the result of that cue every time. And, and when folks say, they give another command. They're like, well, that's not fair because the dog first, re the real unfair part is he didn't get a shot at his, at his reinforcement. His cookie is interrupted because he's been given another cue or the dog may quit doing the first cue because he didn't get to complete it. Same thing. So here's what I want you to think about. You've called. So I spend a lot of time thinking about training and being fair with the dogs. So I'm at the park or wherever I've called my dog. My dog is doing his fast without thinking recall. Don't be distracted was part of the deal that I cut. So I don't have a dog looking around where he's at. And here comes a car. I need to be able to say down or wait and not have the dog go, oh, hold the phone. I thought you said come. And I'm supposed to do that no matter what. And not being afraid of confusing dogs, of honoring their brilliance. If I could communicate one thing, it's like, uh, yeah, they need help learning. Yes, they need consistency. Yes, they need, but do they need to understand that the last cue is the one I'm on now? And like you said, Lisa, that's beyond agility. Right. Everything I teach my dogs for agility and life are like this. I can no longer tell them apart. I need what I need. I need my dog to understand me. And I want to inspire my dog to understand, you know, me. And I want to understand them. I'm inspired to say what's happening with you. So when you're when you're committed to two-way communication in your life with this being. It all, there's not separate worlds. Right. Which there's we not agility. Are, are committed to that two-way communication. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so fascinating. It kind of reminds me of guide dogs because guide dogs are trained to do their job very well, but they're also, they have to think independently. So if their blind handler tells them to cross the street and a dog and a car is coming, the dog is knows to stop, say, this is the time not to listen. I'm protecting you and keeping you safe. It's it's just, it's astounding to me. 
but it's, right. you know, it's there. That's really part of the biggest part of their training more than anything else is really to think independently when they have to save someone's life. Speaking so of judgment call, you know, the dog, the dogs are trained to make a judgment call. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it, I love it when we, when we wonder what our dog's capabilities are and lots of folks that I work with come into that place, either overestimating the dog or underestimating the dog. And when it's you, like piano students. <laughs> oh, is it with their skills? They're their skills. <laughs> They're extreme one or the other, always. <laughs> I, I, I would I would have to agree with that. And um, the, the, the thing about it is, is when we share stories and we say what you just said was, yeah, but this dog can do that. So their capabilities must be, you know, beyond what we classically think they are. Right. You know, and then the question is the time and the effort and the dedication of the teacher of the dog and um, learning how to get that communication right. going in a two way. Right. And with agility, I've it's it's still astounding to me. It's all these years later. I think one of the most fascinating parts of agility is very beginning level, the first year, you know, before you're on equipment at first and just watching the, the light bulbs go off and see how they learn. It's just so fascinating. And I remember when I was in your class, I remember for the first time realizing that an inch, like if I move my shoulder or my hand or my foot an inch while running in one direction, like this much, a dog, it'll be a different obstacle to a dog while they're running full speed. Like it's still astounding to me all these years later. It's just, it really is. But it isn't as in their wherewithal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it never ceases to amaze me. When we, you know, it's funny because it it doesn't it it never ceases to amaze me either, Lisa. And in my career, after I'm 30 years in now, and I am. My job right now is to get out of the dog's way, not literally on course, but the ways that I used to pronounce the dog, you don't know that. You don't know that. You're not proving to me that you know that. I am finding ways to let the dog access the information that they do know and and tell me what they know based on and it and you know, somebody said the other day, well, I would never take my dog into that situation because I just don't think he's ready for it. I said, how do you know? Well, I just don't think so. I said, did you go in and ask him? Because there's always a way out. And if we're afraid to ask our dogs the questions, are you okay here? Can you do this in this environment? Can, like you were saying to Gina, can you tug here and now? And Gina might've been saying, not when you're wound up that tight, mama. I actually can't. <laughs> that would be no to you, mama. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That's exactly what she said. And and, yeah. and and like you said, just the a minor shift. And then you ask again, okay, I had a drink of water. I'm all better now, baby. Do you want <laughs> how about this thing? You want to do this thing? This and then you approach it like you would at home. Right. You, you know. You and then I also learned from you the importance of teasing, 
you know, teasing with the tug and, and letting them win sometimes. And it just, you know, I'm still learning from her. So her favorite thing is like soft things and she destroys, she just destroys everything. So, so anything only lasts a matter of time. So we get those Frisbee discs and they've got like fur on one side and they're, you know, they're flat. And then you generally in the past, I always put liver inside of them and that gets her attention. So they don't, they last like a year or two or something. So I was at a trial. I bought a new one, did not put any food in it. Didn't put any liver. She's just crazy about this thing. It's like, I never had a, that didn't need the smell of the food. So it's like, it amazed me. Like still doesn't. (laughs) So it's very cool. So Sandy, I forgot to ask you at the beginning of this, tell us about your dogs. Like who are, who is your dog family now? My dog family now, yeah. Tuxedo, is uh-huh. an eight-year-old border collie. I lovingly, laughingly call him my masterpiece. <laughs> he um, has taught me so much about uh, two-way communication. And um, and uh, Jigsy is my stamp collector. If Jigs was a person, he would be a stamp collector. He is the perfect <laughs> breed for agility. He has the perfect body for agility. He loves mama maybe more than any of the others. And he loves to train. He is fabulous at agility. The trial environment, mm, I would really like to be working on my stamp collection about now. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, what is his mix uh, He's a uh, half border collie because she uh, was there. And his dad, I think cattle dog terrier mix mutt. He, he looks like a little werewolf. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I have a sport mix that was bred for sport for fly ball, actually, who is 50% border collie, 25% Jack Russell and 25% Staffy Bull because I like uh-huh. to play for real. <laughs> That's so cool. So I just also want to add his tuxedo was came like a huge barking issue so tuxedo if he belonged to anybody else like i don't know how they would have handled if i can say that his barking issue but i saw sandy being for years just your patience just incredible because we couldn't have a conversation I mean, if he was with you, we couldn't have a conversation. And like what you've done with him is just aside from agility, which is incredible too, but it's just astounding. Do you want me to talk talk about him for a minute? Sure. Yeah. So tuxedo still has a barking problem. It's not gone away. And I made mistakes that made his problem worse for him because I didn't recognize some things full on. Um, I didn't recognize how I was reinforcing the barking. The main thing about tuxedo is tuxedo does not seem to be able to express joy without barking. And I can't stand barking. So I found that I was annoyed with him a lot. And when I started, I tried to just work around it. I kept him in the car at the trials. And once I decided that um, I didn't want my dog in the car and I couldn't negatively make him stop barking because he was it was when he was happiest that the barks came out. They just like spilled out. It was like as soon as his little tail would wag, 
And then I started to realize that when he got into that frame of mind, he didn't want to be bothered with me. He wanted me to play ball or agility, ball or agility, ball or agility. That's what every bark was. Ball, agility, ball, agility, ball, agility. So I started working with massage. And that's why, Lisa, you're calming. You know, my dogs have all been raised on your music. And I, you know, when I first met you and I heard that I'm a little bit old school, I've been around a long time and I'm like, oh, come on. And I tried it with Tux out of desperation in my office and was blown out of the water, have been fascinated by you ever since. I'm so excited that you're continuing to explore different types of sounds, their effect on our dogs. And um, touch is where I made a huge difference with Tux because I, I pulled him into me and he would, he did, he fought that so bad. He did not want to be massaged. He was like, no, I want to be over here barking because of his adrenaline and his arousal. So now I can pull him in. Our whole relationship has shifted. Wow. Our whole relationship, because wow. now when he's excited, he has another thing to do, which is come in and, and get kisses. He never wanted any of that. I had to really be a bit manipulative to get him to accept handling. Now I can massage, take that edge down just a little bit, and he can still be happy, but right. so much calmer. Wasn't that an interesting conversation? I love talking to Sandy because I learned so much about dogs and about dog behavior. And she has me thinking in ways that I hadn't before. I had never thought about the chemistry I have with Gina. Had you thought about the chemistry you have with your dogs? I just find it so interesting. If you want access to all of our guest expert interviews, along with the ability to ask them questions live, join our wait list for the Dog Gone Calm Club. You can find it at myzenpet.com forward slash wait list. And we also have tips for you if you want to learn more about using music designed to calm the canine nervous system and how to work with the music with certain behavior issues. You can find a PDF at myzenpet.com forward slash tips. Thank you so much for listening. And now there's a million things you could be doing with your time. And I so appreciate you listening. And I'd also love your feedback. What do you think of the style of maybe every three weeks, once a month, I bring in an interview in addition to having the shorter episodes with the music. Email me, lisa at myzenpet.com or DM me on any of the socials and let me know. I'd love to find out what you think. Thanks again for listening. This is Lisa and Gina, and we are sending out. Mm -hmm.